All right, so we'll say good morning. We'll try to get a little bit of, a, of an on-time start for the daft today. A lot, a lot to do, Baruch Hashem. We're going to thank our Tamil Torah sponsors for the month of Tamos, Adam and Yudip and Zev, for dedicating all the Shemar Drashos this month in honor of their children, Jake, Serena, and Rosie. And to thank, to thank Chaim Lifshitz from Yerushalayim for dedicating the daf today in memory of his father, Jack Lifshitz, Chaim Yaakov ben Ribtzvi. We hope that in the merit of our Tamil Torah, the Nisham will have an aliyah and the family a nechama. Well, so with that, let us begin. Today's daf is Ayin Beis 70 to a lot to do today. We left off on Ayin Aleph Amud Beis 71b. And we left off... Where did we leave off? Body of the car comes. Ravina Amar, right? We got Ravina Amar. So we'll say so about uh, 2, 4, 6, 8, 10, 12, 14, 16, 18, 22, 24. About 25 lines up from the bottom. Ravina Amar. So we'll say, so remember again, it's a lot of lines. Okay, probably should have counted from the top. All right, right? so Ravina says this also. So we'll say, so remember again, just to orient, but I want to point out, we're going to get a little technical for Amar Aleph, but then we're going to have some. Incredibly magnificent, I got it on Ahmed Beis. So we'll say, so remember again, the Mishnah discussed the Big Day Kahuna, and now the Gemara is discussing over here how different parts of the Big Day Kahuna, as well as we'll see different utensils in the Beis HaMikdash, had a different levels of thread counts. So we'll say, so Ravina says from here, so we'll say, so remember again, we were discussing the idea that Sheish is linen. So where do we know this from? So Ravina, Ravina says from here, So we'll say here, then Pasek, in Yechezkel, kind of says it straight out. They'll have hats made of linen on their heads and pants made of linen on their bodies. Or Amasneim literally means on their, on their loins. So we'll say, so you see from here quite explicitly that Allah Chalamaisa, the big day kuna are made of linen. To which the Yemar says, Amli Ravashi, that's very nice. That's a pasuk in Yechazkel. Here's the problem. They were kahanim before Yechazkel, right? It was basically this before Yechazkel. So before Yechazkel said this in a pasuk, how did we know that the big day kahuna were made of linen? From where did we know this? To which the commercial Tamech, Hadam Rav Chista, Davar Zemitars Moshe Abinol Lamadnu, Medir Yechazkel, but we'll see the Madnu. Furthermore, again, we have an interesting statement that says we did not learn this concept from the Torah of Moshe Rabbeinu. Instead. We learned this from the words of Yechezkel. What did we learn? What did we learn? Well, the Pasuk says that an uncircumcised coin is not permitted to go ahead and do the avodah in the base of Mikdash. So Yechezkel says it explicitly. Yet we know that this halacha applies, applied before Yechezkel as well. So man amra. Who said this before Yechezkel said it? So I will say, so it's interesting, because you have these psukim in Sefer Yechezkel, but these were halachas that applied from the beginning of the Mikdash. So before Yechezkel said it, how did we know it? Rather, I will say, some of these things were part of the oral tradition, Torah Shabbat, and Yechezkel was the first one who explicitly said it. So the verse says, to over here, we knew that the big day kahuna were made of linen, but again the Gemara says, Hakanami Gimara Gmirila Vaasi Khaskava Asmuchakra. It was a tradition. It was a tradition from beforehand. And Yechaskal came along and Yechaskal came along 
and ultimately went ahead and put it into a Pasuk. So both say, so essentially what the Gemara is saying is like this, certain concepts like the big day kahuna being linen or bad being linen, or for that matter, again, uncircumcised Kohanim being unable to do the avoda in the Mikdash, these are things that were handed down to Moshe Rabbeinu already at Matan Torah. They weren't written. Yechezkel came along and ultimately writes them down, but they were already part of Torah Shabbat from the beginning. Mashizar, so whenever the Torah says Mashizar, Mashizar always means Shmona, always refers to a thread that is made from eight individual strands. So Minalan, from where do we know this? Dixiv Vayaswa Ashule Hamiel, Rimoni Trelas Vargaman, Vitolashani Mashizar. So we'll say the Torah when it speaks about the Rimonim. The Rimonim are the pomegranates, right? Which were on the bottom of the bottom of the clothing of the bottom of the clothing of the coin godal. Of the coin, excuse me. So therefore, the Torah, when it discusses ultimately again the Rimonim, says, calls them Shuli Hamiel, puts them on the on the hem. Of the meil, Rimoni Tchelas va'Agamav v'Tolas Shani Shani Mashizar v'Yolif Mashizar Mashizar miParochas. We make a Gzeir Shavav Mashizar Mashizar from the Parochas, right from the curtain of the Mikdash of the Mishkan to the Rimonim Malahalon Esrim va'Arba Avkan Esrim va'Arba. Just like the curtain had a thread count of twenty-four, so to the Rimonim have a thread count of twenty-four. To have a Kolchad v'Chad Tamni. Each, each strand, or each, I should say, each thread was made up of eight strands. I, v'nelif mi'choshen, ve'efod. Why don't you learn out the rimonium from the choshen and the ephod, right? The choshen ultimately is the, is the breastplate. The ephod is the apron. Ma'lahalon esrim u'shmona. Afkan esrim u'shmona. Just like over there, there was a thread count of 28. So to over here, there's a thread count of 28. That's a suggestion. I shouldn't say that as a statement. That's a suggestion. Learn out the Rimonim from the Choshen and the Ephod. To which the Gemara says, We want to learn out something which the word Zahav, gold is not written. It's not written Rimonim. Ultimately by, I'm sorry, it's not written Zahav by the Rimonim, and it's not written Zav by the Parochas. As opposed to the Choshen and the Ephod, where Zahav is written. Adrabah, because it's just the opposite. We shall learn out Rimonim, which is part of a Beged, from, from Choshen and Ephod, which are part of the Beged. As opposed to learning out the Rimonim from the Parochas, the Parochas is not a Beged, it's part of the structure. Rather, we're going to learn out ultimately again from the Avnate. Vidanin Beged, Vidavar Shalonam Arbozov, and we'll learn out the Rimonim from the Avnate because both of them are Beged and gold is not written by them. Mi Beged, Vidavar Shalonam Arbozov, Vein Donin Davar Shein Bozov, Mi Davar Shiyish Bozov. We won't learn out Rimonim from Choshen and Ephod because Rimonim don't have gold, Choshen and Ephod do have gold. Rav Mari Amar Ta'asenuksiv. Rav Mori says, the Pasuk says, Ta'asenu. Rashi says, by, by the Choshen, it says, so shall you make it. So the Gemara Darshan is like this, Ta'asenu acher, that the Choshen is made uniquely, nothing else resembles the Choshen, and therefore you can't learn out the thread count for the Rimonim from the Choshen. Rav Ashi Yomar, Va'asisa Ksiv, Shalos. Furthermore, again, the Pasuk says, Va'asisa, by the Rimonim, telling me that again, 
ultimately, or the way you make the rimonim must be the same. But hechi navid. So we'll say, how should you do this? So hechi navid. Navid tlasa da asara asar. So I'm sorry. Navid tlasa da asara asara. If you go ahead and you make three of the threads made, and you make them of a of a ten of a ten strand count, havilu tlasin. Ultimately, it comes out to thirty. Now, the trade the tisha tisha v'chad dasara. If you make two of them of nine strands, one of them of ten strands, amarkra v'asisa. Torah says v'asisa shukalas siosav shavos. Therefore, I both say the gemara therefore highlights the idea that the rimonim themselves are learned out either from one of two possibilities, either from the parochas, or if you want to learn out from another beged, the thread count is learned from the avnid from the belt. Good meil shnei masar. So I both say the meil is made ultimately again. Where every thread, every thread is made up of 12 strands or 12, yeah, we'll call it 12 strands or 12 cords. So, from where do we know this? So, I'll say, so the Pasik says that the Me'il is made of, literally means braided Tchelas. So, the Gemara says, Yalav Tchelas, Tchelas, Mi Parochas, and we make a Xir Shavav Tchelas, Tchelas from the Parochas, Malahalon, Shisha, Afkan Shisha, just like over here, or just like over there, by the parochas. Ultimately, again, it's six strands for each thread. Afkan Shisha, so to over here, Halacha Lamaisa, it'll be six strands for each thread. The Neilov, Mishulya Vrimonov, why not go ahead and learn it out from the hem and from the Rimonim? Malahalan Shmona, Afkan Shmona, and say, just like over there, it was eight strands for each thread, so to over here. We will say we'd rather go ahead and learn out one kli from another kli and not ultimately again learn out the kli from what we call a tachshit kli, a more ornamental or accessorized kli. Okay? Adraba, I can see just the opposite. Donin gufo mi gufo, vein donin gufo me alma. Why not learn out the mi'il itself? Ultimately, again, from another part of the meal, and not go ahead and learn it from something separate and distinct. So ultimately, again, I will say that's what we meant before when we said that you can learn out from other begadim, which the Torah does not go ahead and use the word sheish, like for example, the meal. Good. Parochas esen The parochas ultimately, again, each strand, each thread is made up of 24 strands. Dalid de Shisa Shisa. So we'll say ultimately again, we have four, four thread, right? Four, literally four threads that are each made up of six different items. Because I also remember again, for certain items, as we're going to see over here, like by the, by the parochas, you had a thread which was one thread was comprised of multiple things. For example, you could have wool and blue, you could have blue wool and red wool and gold, all of that mixed together to form one thread. So the Gemara says, I'm sorry, parochas esrim va'arba. So the parochas, again, each thread was made up of 24 strands. So dalid dishisa, shisa, ultimately, again, four of them made up of six types of material each. So the Gemara says, lo dina velodaina. And this doesn't really require any more explanation because it's actually pretty explicit in the Torah itself. Choshen ve'efod esrim u'shmona. Choshen ve'efod are made up of threads that have a 28 string count, or 28 strand count. Minolan, where do we know that from? Dechsev ve'asisa choshen mishpat ma'ase choshev kima'ase efod ta'asenu. That ultimately, again, the Gemara says, you shall go ahead and make the choshen and the efod 
like the ephod, zav tchelas v'argaman v'tolaas shani v'sheish mashezar. So we'll say the Torah explicitly says all of the various items that go into each thread. Arbod, arbod, shisa, shisa. So we'll say so you have ultimately again four threads that each are made up of six different items. Va'arba zav. Four of them made of gold. Arba, so the Gemara says, I'm sorry, uh, um, I'm sorry, let me read that again. Arba deshisa shisa, so you have four of them that are made up of six strands each. Esen va'arba, that gives you a 24 strand count. The Gemara says, zav arba, then another four strands made up of gold. Ha'esen v'tamnia, that gives you 28. And I will say that gives you the total the total, the total number of strands that go into each thread. Ve'ema zav nami shisha. I will say, but why not zav? Why don't we say that zav is made up of, that there are six strands of zav in every single thread, just like the other items mentioned. Am Ravach Abayakov, Am Akra, v'katsatz psilim. The Pasuk says, you shall go ahead and cut the strands, psil psilim. It could have said psil, but instead it says psilim. Harekan dalid. Ultimately, again, that teaches me a minimum of four. Ravashi Amakra, Lasos Besocha, Tchelis Besocha Argaman. You shall go ahead and do it inside of the Tchelis or inside of the Argaman. Hechi Navid, what should you do? Navid Arba Arba. Sorry. Navid, Navid Arba de Trey Trey. If you make four threads made out of two strands each, Havalut Hamnia, that gives you eight. Na'avid tray de tray tray. If you go out and you make two strands of two threads each, tray de chad chad, and ultimately two then have made of one. The Pazik says, Vasisa, shu called asios of shavos. Torah says, You shall make it, which also indicates to you that every thread must be the same. Okay, so we'll say that brings to a close that sugyo. All the Yamar trying to do is highlight to us the different number of, we'll call it strand counts. In each thread, which I will say just highlights for us the incredible specificity with which the Mishkan, and well, originally the Mishkan, then the Mikdash, both the Kalim as well as the garments were made. That you see again the incredible thread count. I will say that each thread being made up of multiple individual strands, and not just that, but often you have different, you have one thread being made up of multiple different types of strands, and again each item having a different strand count per thread. Good. Amar Rachba, Amar Yehuda, HaMekareya Big Day Kuhuna. Well, listen to this interesting case. If a person tears Big Day Kuhuna, say you tear Big Day Kuhuna, Loke, ultimately again, one gets Malkus. One gets Malkus. So it's obviously talking about if one intentionally goes out and tears Big Day Kuhuna, one is subject to Malkus. Shene Amar, the Pasek says, Kuhumara quotes over the Pasek, Lo yikareya. Literally again, it shall not be torn. Lo yikareya. So the Gemara says, Maskif Maybe this is what the Torah is trying to say. Na'avid safa ki nikra. Maybe the Torah is saying that, no, no, you should make a hem for the garment so that it should not get torn. In other words, maybe the Torah is not telling me that halacha lemaisa, I'm not allowed to tear, but the Torah is telling me structure a hem for the garment so that it does not get torn. So the Gemara says, Mik tziv shelo yikra, 
Does the Torah say so that it shall not be torn? And as we'll say, the Lashon is, Loi kareya, you shall not tear it. And therefore, again, not Loi kareya. So I will say, so the Torah is not telling me, construct the garment in a way that it does not tear. The Torah is telling me, don't tear Big Day Kahuna. It's a love. And if you tear Big Day Kahuna, therefore what? Halach Lamaisa, you will be chayiv. Amr Abelazar, Hamaziach choshen me'ala ephod. But we'll say, if somebody goes ahead and loosens, Maziach, actually, Rashi says over here, it means, it means loosens. Maziach usually means to move, but it's the same idea. In other words, that the Choshen, remember again, the way the Choshen lies is you have the, you have the ephod, the apron. Remember, Choshen is, only, is the breastplate, only worn by the coin Gadol, right? So remember again, that Choshen is affixed to the ephod. You have an apron. The, the apron is like an interesting... It's kind of, if you could imagine, it's a backwards apron, right? Imagine an apron, lahavdal, that you wear in the kitchen, right? So it has, it has a front, it doesn't have a back. So the ephod of the coin godal is like flipped around. It has a back, but doesn't have a front. And what you have over here is that the choshen is affixed to the apron in two places. You have two, you have two chains that go up from the ephod, that go up from the choshen and attach to the shoulders of the ephod and two chains that go to the side and attach on the sides of the ephod. There's a, the Torah says that the ephod is not supposed to move. I'm sorry, the choshen, right? The choshen is supposed to be affixed to the ephod. We're going to see, here, let's read it. So the Gemara says, Hamaziah choshen me'alefod. We'll say second wide line, Ayin Be'ezom Dalef. If one goes ahead and loosens the choshen from the ephod, V'hamasir badei aron. Similarly, again, if you go ahead and you remove the poles of the aron, loke, you get malchus. You get malchus. It's an isid da'araisa. Shene emar, because the Pasuk says, go, for, the Pasuk says, V'lo yizach, we'll say pretty explicit. The Torah says, the Choshen shall not move off the ephod. And it also says, the poles should not be removed from the Aron. So we'll say, maybe the Torah means something else. So like this. Maybe the Pasik is not telling me that I'm not allowed to move the Choshen, or the Pasik is not telling me that I can't remove the poles, but rather what? The Pasik is telling me that you have to fix it firmly enough in place so that it doesn't fall out. In other words, they're both saying, there are two ways to look at the Pasik. The way the Gemara was looking at the Pasik was, Torah is telling me, do not move the Choshen. Do not remove the poles. It's a lot, it's a prohibition. The Gemara is suggesting maybe that's not what the Torah is saying. Maybe the Torah is saying is when you fasten the ephod to, the, sorry, when you fasten the choshen to the ephod, fasten it tightly enough that it will not move. When you put the poles in the aron, fasten it tightly enough that it will not fall out. So it's not a prohibition on me doing something, but rather it's a it's a it's a construction um, a construction detail. Right, the construction detail or a placement detail to which the Gemara says, and I both said the nafkamino would be the nafkamino would be if you end up moving the choshen or if you end up going ahead and removing the poles. If you hold that it's an instruction, then you violated an isidaraisa. If you hold it's a construction detail, then you have not violated an isidaraisa. To which the Gemara says, Miksiv shelo yizach or shelo yasur. Both say, does the Torah say shelo yizach? 
Does the Torah say, fasten the choshen to the ephod so that it won't move? Put the poles, fasten the poles to the arm so that it won't move? That's how the Torah says. The Torah says instead, lo yiza, do not move the choshen from the ephod. Do not remove the poles from the arm. It's an instruction. It's an instruction. It's, it's an obligation on the individual, not simply a construction detail. Therefore, if one goes in and moves the Choshen, or one removes the pole from the Aron, ultimately, again, they get Malkus. Rabbi Yosef Rechanina, Rami Ksiv. Rabbi Yosef Rechanina, contrast to Pesukim. On one hand, the Pasuk says, Torah says that the poles of the Aron shall be in the rings. Remember, again, you had the Ark, the Aron. There were rings on the side of the Aron, and the poles... Right, the badim were put inside of the poles. So on one hand, the pasuk says the poles are inserted into the rings. You shall not remove the poles. Uksiv vahuva es badav betabaos. But yet, then the pasuk says that you shall place the poles inside of the rings. So I will say. So again, look at Rashi for just a moment. Kskasav lo yasuru alma. So I'll say, interestingly enough, what the Gemara is, is, is highlighting over here is as follows. That halach lamaisa, when it says you'll put the poles in, you can't remove them, that sounds like the poles are unremovable. Then it says, you'll put the poles into the ring. Well, if you're putting the poles into the ring, then what? Then what? The pashas, you can take them out, which sounds like they are movable. So what's going on? Hakeitzad, I'll say this is fascinating. Hakeitzad, misparkin ve'en nishmatin. The sparking of Shvatim, which means I will say the poles were loose, but they could not come out. They were loose, but they could not come out. What does this mean? Take a look at Rashi. Misparking in Shvatim, but Rashiim hayu avim vechichnes roshan echad bedochak betabas ubeemtzon hayedakin hilchach the hayu nitchakin betabaos ela misparking vaholkin lekano lekan ava inon nishmatin lotzis mehen. Of so say this is really quite fascinating. The way the poles were made was like this. The ends were thick and the middle was a bit thinner. So what would happen? In order to get it through the ring, what would you have to do? You'd have to apply a significant amount of force. In other words, it was not easy to get the poles through. You had to apply a significant amount of force. Once you got them through the ring, what would happen? You'd be able to move them back and forth. But what could you not do? What couldn't you do? You couldn't remove it. So say, by the way, we saw this before that the poles themselves were moved. If you remember again, where do we see this? Because remember again, when the Aron sat in the Kodesh HaKadoshim, so we'll say, what did they do with the poles? You remember, what did they do? They pushed the poles out so that the poles would extend into the curtain. So you see the poles were movable back and forth, but because the ends were thick, the poles could not be taken out. Pretty incredible. So we'll say, so the Gemara says, the Gemara says, okay, sir, misparkin ve'in nishmatin. Tanya Nabarachabai says, supports this, but taba'os aron yu'abadim. So the Pasuk says, that in the rings of the aron, the poles will be. So yachol lo yuzazimim koman, you might have thought that maybe the poles are, the poles are unmovable. Tamulomar v'huvas badav v'taba'os. Therefore the Pasuk says, you shall place the poles in the rings. I, ivuhuva es badav yachol yunichnas v'yotzin. I, but maybe you were thinking that the poles could be taken in and out. Therefore, the Pasuk says, in the rings shall the poles remain. Okay, so how do you reconcile this? The poles can move, but they cannot be removed. So they can move back and forth within the rings, but they cannot be removed. Which say, if you think about this, it's an incredible hashkafa in this as well. Which is, remember again, the Aron 
represents Torah. We're familiar with this, with, with, with this metaphor. The Aaron represents Torah. The, the idea of the poles being irremovable is the idea that Torah goes with me wherever I go. This was, this was, this was the Yisod. Think about this for just a moment. The other utensils also had poles. Every other utensil had poles. How else they transport it? Right? So the Shulchan had poles. The Mizbeach had poles. And what happened again when you place, right? When, when the Jews camped in the desert and you placed the Kli down, what happened? What happened? You took the poles out. That's, that's the way it worked. The Aaron was the only utensil. But when you put the poles in, the poles did not come out. What's Tashkaf Rabosai? Tashkaf is Torah goes with me everywhere. Right? There's no such thing as Torah being situated in one place immobile. The poles always remain highlighting the idea that Torah goes with me wherever I go in life. But interestingly enough, perhaps the poles being movable back and forth indicates that the way Torah manifests itself and the way I carry Torah and the way ultimately I apply Torah may be different in different situations. In other words, the carrying of the Torah is not always the same. Sometimes the poles are pushed this way, sometimes the poles are pushed that way, so the way you carry it, and sometimes even the way it's observed and the way it's applied, that may change a little bit from circumstance to circumstance. But the poles always remain because it always travels with. It always accompanies me, but sometimes the application of it, how you carry it, when you carry it, where you carry it, that sometimes changes based on different life circumstances. An incredible yisod. So the Gemara goes right there. So I will say the pasuk says the pasuk says when talking about when talking about the krushim, the boards of the mishkan, it says atzei shitim omdin. Remember the mishkan, the boards of the mishkan, the walls were made of acacia wood. Atzei shitim. So the Torah says something very interesting. You have to make it of standing acacia wood. What, what, what does that mean, standing acacia wood? What so the Gemara says, what, what do you mean, omdim? Well, so this is very interesting. The Gemara says, this is very fascinating. When you fashioned the boards and you stood the boards up, the boards had to be placed the way they grew. In other words, you will say, so the boards were taken from the trees, right? But the idea is that the boards were placed in the, in the as part of the wall, Derech Gidilasan, the way they grew. So in other words, when making the board and placing the board, you would use the board that came from the bottom part of the tree on the bottom, and ultimately, again, the top part of the tree on top. So the Gemara says, what's, what, what's, what's the Pshat? Father the Torah being makbid on Derech Gidilasan. Rashi says, Ha'el yon lamala, fatakhto lamata, the upper part of the wood on top and the bottom part of the part. Because remember again, the entire point of the Mishkan was to facilitate spiritual growth. We'll say in order to have spiritual growth, a person has to live life derech gidilasan. There has to be a plan. There has to be a seder. We speak about this all the time. You see, if my ruchnios is kind of chaplap, as they say, if there's no rhythm and there's no plan and there's no structure to it, then ultimately, again, a person has bursts of inspiration, bursts of aliyah, but there's no real sustained growth. If a person wants to truly make a relationship with the Ribbon Shalom, it has to happen derech gidilasan. It has to happen ultimately again in structured stages of incremental growth. It can't just be whatever, whenever, however. 
it must be part of a structured plan. Dover Acher, another possibility is Omdim. What does it mean, Omdim? Shema Tomar, Avad Sivran, Ubatal Sikuyan. I both say this is incredible. You might have thought that once the Mishkan is gone, Avad Sivran means its promise has been lost. Batal Sikuyan, its hope is lost. Talmud Lomar, Omdim. I'm sorry, I skipped the line. Dover Acher, Omdim, Shema Amidina Sipuyan. I both say the other possibilities, remember, the boards of the Mishkan were, were gold plated. Or gold plated. So omdim also means you have to fasten the plating to the board in a way that the board is able to go ahead and uphold or hold up the plating itself. Okay, so the, according to this, what I will say, it's more of like an architectural detail. I'd say shaitim omdim, make sure to affix the gold to the boards in a way that the boards can maintain the gold plating on top of them. Rashi says over here, Shema'amidin sipuyan sipuyazah ma'amidin ayde mismaros. They would nail the they would nail the plating to the boards. Lashon Acher Shlachet Fine. So the Gemara says Al Davar Acher Omdim Shema Tomer Avid Sivran Abatu Sikuyon. The other possibility says What does Omdim mean? Or maybe Omdim means you might have thought that once the Mishkan was was hidden away, maybe literally again their promise is lost, their hope is lost. In other words, maybe the Mishkan doesn't do anything for us now that it's gone. Tamalo or Omdim. Therefore, the Pasuk says, Omdin Sha'omdin li olam uli olamim. Ultimately, again, that the power of the Mishkan remains for all eternity. And I will say, this is actually an incredible Yisod as well. Because if you think about this, very often when we think about the Mishkan, we kind of assume it to be what? It was a stopgap. Right? It was a stopgap until we got, were able to get to Yushalayim finally and build the base of Mikdash there. So what the Gemara is saying is like this, even to this very day, the Mishkan, the Mishkan benefits us. In other words, there is no such thing as a ruchni, as a spiritual endeavor that does not go ahead and benefit Klalisa for all eternity. Anything and everything we do in our Avodas Hashem oh, c- contains and maintains a certain power for Amnisos, even the Mishkan. Right, the Mishkan is long gone, and we're never going to have a Mishkan again. We daven every day for a third base of Mikdash. We're never going to have a Mishkan again. Lest you think, therefore, that the Mishkan has lost its meaning. So the Gemara says, Ase Shitim Omdim. The Mishkan still stands for us to this very day. The schus of the Mishkan still stands for Klal Yisrael till this very day. Because Rebbe said there is no such thing as a spiritual endeavor that does not yield constant ruchni dividends. Anything we do in this world continues to pay spiritual dividends, li olam vayet. Even the Mishkan, an incredible yisod. So the Imam goes right. Rabbi Chaim, Rabbi Chanina, my dechsev es big de hasrad l'sharis pakodesh. Jose, what does the pasuk mean when it says the big de hasrad? Right, Rashi says loshon srid. We'll see how the Gemara darshans it. The big Rabbi say now this is a reference to the big day kuna. Torah calls the big day kuna big day srad. What does this mean? Amid days omale omale big day kuna lo nishtayer misonen shal yisrael srid upalit. We'll say, were it not for the big day kahuna, there would be nothing left of Klal Yisrael. We'll see, you know, when the Torah speaks about Sonei and Shal Yisrael, Sonei and Shal Yisrael is a metaphor for when we sin. Right? When we sin, we are called enemies of Klal Yisrael, which is a pretty dramatic statement. Right? So when, when I commit an Avera, I'm called an enemy of the Jewish people. Because we'll say, when I commit an Avera, I'm undermining not only my own interests, but I'm undermining the interests of the collective, of the Klal. So when I commit an Avera, I am called an enemy of Klal Yisrael. So the Torah says, we're not for the big day kahuna. We're not for the big day kahuna. 
there would be nothing left of Klal Yisrael. Look at Rashi. Rashi says over here, Rabbi Sarah, Rashi is on both sides on this daf. So take a look at Rashi on the right-hand side. So remember again, it's the Big Day Kuhuna, which allow for the offering of Karbanos. So were it not for the Big Day Kuhuna, and therefore again, the Avodah and the Beis HaMikdash, there would be nothing left of Kalal Yisrael. So we'll say ultimately again, the Avodah, the Mikdash, the Big Day Kuhuna, serve as a schos for us. Rabbi Shlomo Rachmani, Amr Debeir, Rabbi Shimon, Tana, Begadim Shagorin, Shagardin Osan, Kibriyasan, Michlehen, Umisardin, Mehen, Klum. So this is very interesting. So Rabbi Shimon understands a little bit differently. We're trying to be Rabbi Shimon says a little bit differently. That Big Day Sarabos say, interestingly enough, Big Day Kahuna were not, were not sown, but rather they were made on a loom. On a loom. And the way it was done is essentially the, the garment was kind of removed whole from the loom. That's what it means when it says, Shegor and Osan Kibriyasan Michlehen. You go out and you remove them whole from the loom. Umisardin Mehem Klum. But you leave a little something left over that the garment still has to be finished. What did they leave over? Mahi, This refers ultimately again to the sewing they had to do. So what, what's sewing? So Mesve, big day kuna in Osan Osamasemechat Elamase Oreg. But we learned also the Brice says, Big day kuna was not sewn. We'll say it was made on a loom. Shnemar Masa Oreg. Because the Torah says that it's woven, right? The Torah says something being woven and something being sewn, right? Something being sewn is a, is a needle and thread. Being woven is on a loom. So this is fascinating. Abai says the were both woven and, and sewn. The, we're going to see, I will say that right now, essentially, I don't know what the technical like, term is for it, but like the, the body of the garment. So let me illustrate this best, you know, maybe with like the... Um, the the kisonas, right? The the tunic. Right? So if you could imagine, it's one big cylinder, right? It's one right so that was made on a loom that came off the loom. Then what happened? The sleeves were sewn. Sleeves were sewn and then subsequently attached to the body of the me'il. So the Gemara says that's what it means. The the sleeves themselves were sewn on. Kidisanya the sleeves of the big dekuna were ultimately again woven on their own, right? Were sewn on their own, and then ultimately sewn onto the beged of the big dekuna. Umagas ad pisas hayat. say this is very interesting. The tailoring of the sleeves of the of the big dekuna will say the sleeves went until the palm, which is just interesting. Because a little bit different than, right, I guess the way we tailor sleeves contemporarily, right, that you take it somewhere, I don't know, somewhere to the wrist. So the big day kuhuna ultimately, again, went until the palm. So Amrach, but Amrach Yehuda, we'll say, listen to how beautiful this is. Shalosh Aronos Asa Betzala. We'll say, listen to how beautiful this Gemara is. Betzala made three Arons, three arcs. Now, really what it means is we're going to see really means three boxes in the Aron, right? That the Aron Abris, the Ark itself was comprised of three boxes. And Tzoyisha eats, ultimately again, a middle box made of wood. Tisha, Tisha. Ultimately again, so the, the, the middle one was made of wood and had a height of nine Tfachim. Pinimi Shal Zahav, there was an inner box of gold. Ultimately, Shmona, it measured a height of eight Tfachim. Chitzon Asara Umashahu. The outer box of Osai was once again also made of gold, 
and it had a height of ten tefachim and a little bit. And a little bit. So we'll say, so three boxes. Gold outside, wood in the middle, gold on the inside. Right? Measurements, outer one, ten tefachim high, the middle one, nine tefachim high, inner one, eight tefachim high. I, Vahasanya, where we learned, Achadas Aramashu, but we learned elsewhere that the outer box ultimately had a height of 11 tefachim and a little bit. Lo kasha, we'll say there's a machlokes. What's the machlokes? This is fascinating. So we'll say, interesting, interestingly enough, there is a machlokes about the thickness of the floor of the bottom box. I should say of the outer box. Right? So there's a machlokes. One opinion says the floor of the outer box had a thickness of a tefach. Where I will say, if the floor of the bottom of the outer box has the thickness of a tevach, then what does that do to the height of the outer box? Pushes it up an additional tevach. So according to the opinion who says that the floor of the outer box had a tevach of thickness, then that pushes the height of the outer box up to 11 tefachim and a little bit. But according to the opinion who hold that the outer box, the floor did not have the thickness of a tevach, then Allah Chalamaisa, the height of the walls was only 10 tfachim and a little bit. I will say, just about these, these boxes, actually a very beautiful idea. The Magid of Mezrich says something truly beautiful because obviously there must be a symbolism in this. Why three boxes? First of all, you could just make a golden aron, right? Why do you need three boxes? Gold, wood, gold. So we'll say it's quite beautiful. So the Magid of Mezrich says so beautifully. He says that, uh, remember that, that the aron represents Torah. Right? Gold, gold, remember, the gold of the Aron, just like the gold of all the utensils, was a pure gold. Was a pure gold. He holds that the gold on the inside, gold on the outside, represents the idea that in life, you have to live with certain immutable principles. Right? There have to be guiding light principles that I use in, the, in, in, in my life. That's the gold, right? Gold is a, gold is a, gold is a, at least from this perspective, like, an immutable substance. It is what it is. The same gold today is the same gold tomorrow. So on the inside and the outside, you have to have your principles by which you live your life and the principles which you will not, you won't compromise. The middle is wood. What's well, so interesting, wood and gold? Wood is organic, right? Wood grows, wood grows. As much as you have to live life with constant immutable principles, there also always has to be a part of your persona that is ready and willing to evolve. And I will say, isn't this the incredible dialectic in life? There are certain things that I have to say will never change. Certain things about me, maybe even certain things about my lifestyle, that they are what they are, they will not change. But if you live life with that mantra, that's incredibly dangerous. There always has to be a middle box made of organic wood. A middle box that's subject to growth. A middle box that says just because things have been done a certain way until now doesn't mean they should be done the same way going forward. Just because I've been a certain way until now doesn't mean I should be the same way going forward. Keep gold on the inside, gold on the outside, but organic wood that is willing to evolve and grow in the middle. Incredible Gemara. I'm going to be Ochanan. But we'll say, Sigmar is my mashu. So we'll say, here's what's interesting. What's fascinating about this is general. When you look at the, when you look at the measurements of the Mishkan, Right? Everything is incredibly precise. Yet, what is the Gemara saying over here? I both say, what was the size of the outer box? What did the Gemara just say? What was the size of the outer box? 
Ten tefachim umashu, and a little bit. <laughs> what do we need a little bit? What, what, what is that mashu? To which the Gemara says, zer. We'll say, around the, around the edge of the aron was literally a decorative border that extended above the wall. Zer literally means a crown. So we'll say, so again, there was a decorative, by the way, the aron wasn't the only thing with the zer. We're going to see there were other kalim that had this decorative border that extended above the wall of the aron, right? Above the side. So you had the side, so the side ended at 10 tefachim Going, We'll go to the first opinion. The right, the side, the wall of the aron was 10 tefachim and then above that wall, there was a little decorative crown that went around the walls of the aron. Both say, listen to how beautiful this is. There are three different crowns in the base of Mikdash. Both say three different crowns. There was a crown, and we say crown, we mean decorative, right? Decorative edge on the walls. There was a crown, there was a zer, a crown on the Mizbeach, a crown on the Aron, and a crown on the Shulchan. Rebose the Marashah points out that what does this represent? The three ksarim, the three crowns that exist within Yiddishkeit. And what are the three crowns which exist within Yiddishkeit? Keser Kahuna, Keser Malchus, Keser Torah, right? The crown of Kahuna, the crown of Maraki, the crown of Torah. Both listen to how beautiful this is. Shom is Zacha Aram. So the crown of the Mizbeach, which represents the crown of the Kahuna, who gets that? That's Aram. So the Gemara says, Vinatlo, Shol Shulchan. Both say the crown of the Shulchan. Now this is very interesting. What does the Shulchan represent? So it's interesting. The Shulchan usually represents what? Wealth. Wealth. Now in this context, so wealth, monarchy, influence, right? Wealth is influence. That's monarchy. Zacha David. Ultimately, again, that's David HaMelech. V'natlo. Shal Aron. So I will say, what does the crown of the Aron represent? That represents, again, the Keser Torah. Adayin Munach. I will say, that crown is still up for grabs. Kol Harol Selikach Yavo V'yikach. I will say, isn't this absolutely incredible? Keser Kuhuna, not accessible to everyone. Right? Keser Malchus, not accessible to everyone. Keser Torah is accessible to everyone. Whoever wants the crown, the crown is yours. Shema Tomar, Pachosu. So maybe you'll say, aye, that must mean it's less important. Right? Say, in other words, we, generally, we generally equate importance with exclusivity. Right? The more exclusive something is, the more important it is. Aye, so it must be Keser Kuna, Keser Malchus. Those are much more important because Lamaisa, they're exclusive. Keser Torah, anyone could have it. Well, if anyone could have it, it can't be that important. So the Gemara says, Tamad Lomar, Bi Melochim Yamluchur. Kashparach says, It is only through me that kings are made. Ultimately, I will say, the Keser Torah is Mamish access to the Ribbono Shalom. And access to the Ribbono Shalom is in and of itself the most important thing in this world. So I will say, Isn't this absolutely beautiful? The Keser Torah, the crown of Torah, is open and accessible to whoever wants it. You can't have kahuna if you're not a Kohen. You can't have Malchus if you're not a descendant of David HaMelech. But if you truly want the most important crown of all, the crown of Torah, it is open and accessible to each and every one of us. So inspirational. Rabbi Yochanan Miksiv. Rabbi Yochanan contrasts the Pesukim. Zar vikarinan zer. So I will say, the word, when you look at it, is actually written, right? Because it's, it's, not, it's not written Zion Yudresh. It's written Zar. Zar, I will say, literally means stranger or alien. We vocalize it, we pronounce it as Zer, which means an, uh, literally, again, a, a crown. So the Gemara says, Zoha Naasis Lo Zer. But say, if a person is deserving, then ultimately, again, Torah becomes for him a crown. Lo Zoha 
Zarahimenu. If he's not Zoha, Torah becomes alien to him. Now both say, what does this mean? Take a look at Rashi. It's the bottom of the right hand column, quite beautiful as well. Zoha Lilmo Torah Lishma Lakaima. Both say, what does Zacha mean? If you learn Torah Lishma. If you learn Torah Lishma, let's say, what does it mean to learn Torah Lishma? If a person learns Torah as a way ultimately of connecting with that Kaddish Baruch Hu. Let's say, it's, it's, it's interesting that, you know, a person can learn Torah, a person can learn Shas, and not feel any closer to that Kaddish Baruch Hu. You could feel great, and you could feel smarter, and you could feel enriched, but Lav Dafka, that it enhances your relationship with Hashem. Torah Lishma means, I learn Torah because I want a relationship with the Ribbono Shal Olam. That's why I learn. That's called Torah Lishma. If you learn Torah Lishma, then ultimately, again, Torah becomes a crown. But if you don't learn Torah Lishma, then ultimately it becomes alien to you. It becomes alien to you. Rashi says, what does it mean it becomes alien to you? This is incredible. Zacha, Mishtacha, Chemenu, Mimenu. You forget it. Which I will say is really something very interesting. The Gemara links retention to learning Lishma, which is really fascinating because a lot of us struggle with retention. <laughs> well, that, that film might be a little bit different, that are given just the sheer pace of things. But I will say, isn't it fascinating that kind of the litmus test for my Lishma is right? The litmus test for my Lishma is retention. If I remember, that's a pretty good indication of learning the Shema. The Shema means to cultivate our relationship with Hashem. If I don't remember, that may be, may be indicative of the fact that maybe although I'm learning, which is incredible, maybe the motivations aren't as pure as they need to be. Quite incredible. So say, interesting contrast of Pesukim. The Pasuk says, You shall make for you an Aron made of wood. Now, we'll say this pasuk makes it sound like what? That Moshe Rabbeinu has to make the Aron himself. Uksiv, and then the pasuk says, "Va'asu Aron shitim." They will make an Aron made of acacia wood. So, who's making it? Is it Moshe or is it the people? Who's making it? To which the Gemara said, "Mikanatam Chacham Iro Mitzuvin Laasos Lomalachtu." I will say from here we see that when a, when, a, when a city has a Tam Chacham who lives in its midst. The townspeople should take care of the Talmud Chacham so that his work is done for him, that he does not have to go ahead and engage in the work. He could devote himself exclusively to the learning of Torah. Bose, take a look at Rashi. How do you see this? So Rashi says, So the idea being at first, HaKadosh Baruch Hu places the construction of the Aron Moshe, but then removes it and places it on the community creating a model, creating a model that if there is a true Talmud Chacham who lives within the community, the community should see to the needs of the Talmud Chacham so that Talmud Chacham is able to devote himself to Avodas Hashem and the work gets done through the community. Well, it's interesting, you know, no matter what, the work's got to get done. Right? There's, always, there's always work to get done. The Shailah just is, Whose shoulders does it rest upon? So at least initially it rests upon the Talmud Chacham, but it's almost like an Eitzatova. The community wants the Talmud Chacham to fully self-actualize because his self-actualization is the community's benefit as well. So the community therefore should remove the yoke of that responsibility of the labor, get the job done, so Talmud Chacham is able to focus on what he's truly meant to focus on. Beautiful Gemara. You shall coat the aron on the inside and outside with gold. Because what's such as we've seen before, three boxes. There's gold on the outside, gold on the inside. 
Amirava Abbasi, this is beautiful. Kol Tamit Chacham, She'ein Tocho Kibaro, Eino Tamit Chacham. Any Tamit Chacham, literally again, whose inside is not like his outside, is not a Tamit Chacham. So Abbasi is actually quite beautiful as well. The idea being the, the, the symbolism of gold inside and outside means that a Tamit Chacham, who's supposed to represent Torah, has to be genuine. Kind of go back to Rab Tzadik as well. Has to be genuine. Gold on the inside, gold on the outside. So we'll say, I have one second. What's the hole in this argument? What's the hole in this argument? What about the wood in the middle, right? It's not, it's not fully gold. But we'll say, it's, I think the Mara's teaching us an incredible yisod. Never, never go ahead and confuse genuinity. I know I made it up, but I like it, right? Genuinity with perfection. It's not the same thing. I could be genuine, but still be highly imperfect. Genuine just means that, we'll say a lot of times you go through life and there is the external me and there is the internal me, right? The external me presents a particular image, but the internal me is someone dramatically different. The Gemara says, Cheshbarahu doesn't like that. Roshan doesn't need that because again, Cheshbarahu knows who I really am. So you could project a face to the world, but if that's not really you, Chosh Baruch says, I'm not interested in that. The Tam Tchachem has to be Tochol Kibaro. Whatever you are on the outside, make sure that that's truly reflected on the inside. But it does not mean perfection. Chosh Baruch never asks for perfection. He just asks me to be genuine. He just asks me not to be, unfortunately, too often in life we project an image that's not really us. That's not really us. By the way, this cuts both ways. Sometimes he will project an image that's not really them because they're so much better than the image they project. And sometimes they project an image that may look, have a certain level of, of inflated piety when in fact I'm not really that person on the inside. Baruch says, just be genuine. Same person on the inside, outside. But again, I might be wood in the middle. You, truth not, I might be. I am wood in the middle. I'm filled with imperfections, right? I'm filled with maybe even a little bit of decay, maybe even a little bit of mold, maybe, maybe even a little bit of, of growth. On I'm filled with all these things, but that doesn't detract from who I am. I'm a human being. So of course I have wood in the middle. Kishbarach is not telling me to get rid of my wood. Kishbarach is not telling me to get rid of my imperfection. Kishbarach is saying, acknowledge it, embrace it, but just be a genuine individual. We'll have to stop over here. So much more to that. I promised you, incredible Gemara. We'll pick up over here, Mir Sashem, tomorrow. I think tomorrow we're going to start at 5.45 with the Daf and Mir Sashem. So tomorrow we'll start at 5.45. Shkarech HaVosei.